0: Today we're going to go ahead and continue our series uh, looking at emotions, and actually today the topic we're going to talk about mainly is contentment, moving from discontentment to contentment. Um, But just for a second, before we dive into the message and before we dive into the scripture, um, I think what Mo said at the beginning of the service is really true. We as a nation have gone through a really significant week. So I'd love to just take a moment to pray for the transition, pray for new leadership, recognize that God um, is sovereign over all things. So would you join me uh, in a word of prayer? God, this has been an incredible week in the life of our nation. And we, uh, as a people, might be uh, feeling all kinds of different things. Um, We might be feeling excitement. Uh, Anticipation and and hopefulness, and we might be feeling fear and dread and concern. And uh, so, God, in all of that, I want to take a moment as a people, as your people, to pray and to recognize that you, God, are sovereign, that you, God, are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords over all things. And that our confidence is not in human leadership, whether we think good or bad, but our confidence, God, is in you. And in that confidence of your sovereignty and of your plan and of your power, God, I pray for our new uh, leadership. I pray for our new president, President Trump. I pray for the men and the women that are going to be now leading our country. I pray, God, that you would fill them with your wisdom and your insight. God, may they be men and women after your heart, may they be led by you, and God, may they govern and lead and serve with integrity and with strength and uh, with hope. So God, we thank you that you are sovereign over all and we can trust in you, and we lift up the new leadership, God, and we pray that you would give us a sense of your sovereignty over all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week for us here at GRX, last week we began a new series on emotions. And the reason why we're doing this is for us to grow. The purpose for us to look at emotions is for us to grow spiritually, but also that we might become more emotionally mature so that we would have success. Success in our life, success in our relationships, and even success in our workplaces. We looked at that a little bit last week because emotional health, emotional maturity has to do with relationships and all of our areas, life, love, relationships, even our work are undergirded by how we treat other people and are we aware of our own emotions and our own emotional health. Now, let me just say a little bit of a disclaimer here. Talking about emotions, some people might feel a little uncomfortable talking about emotions. Um, I'm not talking about anyone specifically, men, but I am talking about like sometimes people were a little uncomfortable talking about emotions. Um, Maybe you're not used to talking about emotions. Maybe they're unfamiliar. Maybe you're unfamiliar with your own emotions. Uh, That's okay, you're not alone. (laughs) I know this makes people feel kind of heebie-jeebie. They're kind of worried about it. Just, it's a short series, and you might actually grow in this. So, so this is an opportunity for us. Emotions are a part of who we are. We are hardwired to have emotions. I'm going to show you a little video clip here, if you'll um, indulge me. It's... Uh, It's from a Pixar movie called Inside Out. And I think it just captures this understanding so many great things about emotions and who we are. So, with that, George, if you would be so good as to run the video. All right, thank you. You'll have to watch the rest of the movie on your own. Uh, I love the film. Uh, I think what they do, they're so smart, they're really clever. But I think they capture some things that are really true about emotions and about what I'm wanting to do with this series. Because what happens is, in the film, you see joy, disgust, anger, fear. The emotions are named. Pixar does a great job with naming the emotions. And then you meet Riley, and through the movie, what you watch is that she moves from this place of reacting to her emotions to responding out of her emotions. And that's the transformation that takes place in her inner life. And that is the transformation that you see in the film. Those are the goals for why we're doing this series on emotions. That we as a community of people would expand our capacity, our vocabulary, to name the emotions that we feel, then to respond out of the emotions, rather than just react out of the emotions that we feel, to respond. And then have that be transformative for our inner life, to name the emotions we have, to respond rather than react, and then to be transformed. Pete Schizero, I shared about this author last week, in his book Emotionally Healthy Leader, he says, it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's not possible to be spiritually mature without remaining emotionally immature. And that's true about a lot of things. You can't have emotionally mature relationships without being, while remaining emotionally immature. Today, we're gonna look specifically at contentment and discontentment. If you're living with discontentment or somebody that you know is living with this feeling of discontentment, we're gonna look at contentment and discontentment. And we're gonna look at three ways to do that. We're gonna look at one, what does scripture say about contentment? and discontentment. And then we're going to consider contentment and discontentment in our own lives, in our own time. And then the third thing is, at the end, I'll give some practical exercises. How do we actually move from feeling discontent to feeling content? How do we make that movement? After we've named it, how do we respond to it? How do we transform it? How do we uh, move from discontentment to contentment? So the Bible passage that we're going to look at is out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 6. And we're going to run into two kinds of people. There's going to be a content person and a discontent person. We'll see what Scripture has to say about this. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. But godliness with contentment Okay, let me go ahead and read this version that's up here. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And this idea of godliness, it means devotion. Um, devotion to God. Becoming like God. Becoming connected with God. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With, next slide please, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Next slide please. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God. And here, O man, it's actually the word anthropos. It's from what we get the word anthropology. But you, oh it's actually O people of God. O anthropos. But you, O people of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This passage highlights two different kinds of people. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of it. We have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And then he contrasts that to say, but then there are other people. Those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, and a lot of harmful things. Those are the folks that are discontent. It echoes some of the words that Jesus says when Jesus talks about things that compete with our attention for God. In the book of Matthew, when Jesus is teaching his followers, about what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to live a contented life? He says, no one can serve two masters. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 24, he says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and, people familiar with this verse call it mammon, which is the, mon- the sum total of your money and possessions. You either live in a life of godliness and devotion to God with contentment, and that's the great gain, or there's this other thing that can compete with that, and it's a road of discontentment in its money, in its possessions, and its stuff. That's what scripture says about this. When I look around in our society, there is a falsehood that is present in our society. And you guys, this isn't new to you. You'll have heard this before. There's a falsehood that we live and breathe in, and it's as prevalent to us as the air that we breathe. And it's that the falsehood is that the money and possessions around us can help us to build a contented life. Now, if we talk about it intellectually, we know that's not true. But we live in a culture where that is the message that's perpetuated all the time. I came across this sort of poem. And it kind of inspired me to write a couple of things. There are things certainly that money can buy, but not contentment. There's a lot of things that money can buy, but they can't buy the quality of life that we desire. Consider this money can buy toys, but not happiness. Money can buy acquaintances, but not friends. Money can buy obedience but not faithfulness. Money can buy sex, but not love. Money can buy rest. I'm sorry. Money can buy a bed, but not rest. Money can buy a house, but not a home. On a personal level, you might know somebody struggling right now with discontentment because they are pursuing all of these things that they think will give them contentment. But it won't. They might be in a place right now where they're in a sense of prolonged disappointment. Their life is not turning out the way that they want it to. They're feeling frustration. They're feeling jealousy. They're restless. They're living in a place of discontent. Symptoms, blaming others, complaining. Have you ever wondered that if someone that you know is feeling perpetually frustrated, angry, jealous, that maybe at root is that they're living with discontentment because they're seeking contentment in all of these different places where their life won't be satisfied? Let me give you three quick things about things that create discontentment in our lives, and then I'm going to switch over to contentment three things that create discontentment in our lives. See if this is true for you or somebody that you know. Number one, what creates discontentment? Comparing ourselves to others. Comparing ourselves to others. Men do this. Women do this. We compare ourselves all kinds of ways. I'm not as blank as them. Is that true for you? What would you put in the blank? I'm not as blank as them. According to an article in Psychology Today, this is what they say. This is completely secular. They say this. One of the easiest ways to feel bad about oneself is to compare yourself unfavorably to others. We may be tempted to compare ourselves with those who have more accomplishments, seem more attractive, make more money, or boast more Facebook friends. When you find yourself envious of what someone else has and feel jealous, inferior, or inadequate, as the result, you are having a negative social comparison moment. Isn't that great? A negative social comparison moment. You ever have those? You ever have negative social comparison moments? It's the road to discontentment. Okay, so comparing ourselves to others, that's number one. Number two creates discontentment watching too much tv too many movies too much social media diet too much tv too many movies too much social media it is a road to discontentment let me just give you a small example i used to know a guy uh, his name's shane he used to do advertising for porsche think about car commercials I was talking to Shane about car commercials. What are they doing? What's going on with car commercials? Think about a car commercial. When they are advertising a car, they always put it in a big, wide open space. They put it on a road by the ocean. They put it on this mountain road. It's super deserted. They put it on this shiny, rain-slicked street. It's not raining, by the way. But it's a cool-looking street, it reflects, and there's nobody on the road. It's completely wide open, right? You know that's true about car commercials. And then what goes on? What's the feeling that goes on? You think, man, if I had that car, I could also drive on big, expansive, open spaces. That's a lie. What is true? This is what is true. If you bought that car, you would be sitting in traffic like everybody else. You'd be sitting in traffic on the 237 or the 101 or the 880 just like everybody else. You will never see a car commercial of a guy sitting in traffic. You will not see it. Why not? Because that's not the emotion that's for sale. Discontentment is for sale. That's what sells. That's what sells. If you ever see a car commercial with a guy sitting in traffic, send me the link. I'd really like to see that. Right? If you buy this car, you'll get more enjoyment. You'll get more satisfaction out of life. You will be a content driver. Right? That's what it is. That's what it is. Okay, so too much of a diet of TV, movies, social media, right? I think it plays into that. And it's actually tied to the first thing, comparing ourselves to others, having a negative social uh, comparison moment. Third thing. The third thing that leads to discontentment is when we put our hope for our contentment into our stuff. When we put our hope into our stuff. And by stuff, of course, I'm including the stuff that we buy and the stuff that we own and the stuff that we consume. But I'm also including in this the stuff that we achieve. The stuff that makes up our ego or our image or our reputation or what people say about us or what we think about us. It's that stuff. All that stuff living from vacation to vacation. Stuff. If that's our hope, it's the road to discontentment. There's an American author, he was actually very influential in the life of C.S. Lewis, his name's G.K. Chesterton. And I love what he says as he reflects on contentment. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, he said, "There are about contentment." He says there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more and more, and the other is to desire less. There's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more and more. The other is to desire less. If we struggle with discontentment. What are we to do? How do we transform discontentment into contentment? How do we transform jealousy? How do we transform frustration, anger, feeling like we're being left behind? How do we transform all of that into a place of contentment? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this. Godliness that is devotion to God with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we, can t- and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. What's going on here? What is this understanding of contentment? Paul is using the same word here, contentment, that he is using when he is writing about his own life in the book of Philippians. He uses the same word contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says this in the book of Philippians chapter four, that he has learned the secret of a contented life. Philippians 4, 11 and 12, the apostle Paul says this. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's the exact same word. I know how to be brought low. means when people insult him or when he's in poverty. And I know how to abound. He knows how to be rich and poor. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret to contentment? This is the secret. The feelings of Christian contentment do not depend on external things or situations. Christian contentment is wholly to rest in the sufficiency of Christ. That's the secret. That's the key that the Apostle Paul found that we live our lives resting in the sufficiency of Christ. To find our contentment not in the things we buy or the things we consume or the achievements or what people say, but Christian contentment is to live out of the center, the devotion, the godliness, the deep and abiding connection to God. To be wholly at peace with what and who God says you are not by what advertisement says about who you are, not by what other people say about who you are, not about what your bank account says about who you are. The secret is to live wholly out of the reality of who God says you are. Saved by his grace, loved for eternity, you are forgiven, you are accepted the way that you are. And in that, out of that place, then we become content to see not what am I getting out of this situation, what is God doing in the situation? Not how do I need to be at work in this situation, but how is God at work in this situation? How is God's provision, how is God's gifts, how is God's supply present here? How is God at work? And we trust ourselves to the reality of God working in us and through us and saying who we are. Contentment is that state of happiness and satisfaction. The security in our constant rest in Christ and in the sufficiency of God. Okay, so what do I do with this? And this is the last part of this message, is what do we do practically? How do I actually practically move from discontentment to contentment so I can live in this place? Okay, what I'm gonna do actually is give you a few exercises, and it's completely up to you to do them. Or not do them. I can't make you content. Okay, I can't, I can't do that. I was thinking a little bit like my physical therapist. I go to my physical therapist for my leg exercises. He gives me exercises to do, and then I see him like three weeks later or a month later. You know, he can't make my legs stronger for me. He can only give me exercises to do. And then it's up for me to do my stretching and to do my double heel lifts. See, how I'm doing my double heel lifts. It's only up to me to do them. Thank you, thank you, Joshua. Thank you, thank you. This is the same way with what I'm about to tell you, okay? If you do these, great. You will have more contentment in your life. Um, If you don't, then then go out and buy a Porsche. See how that goes for you. (laughs) Here are three things that you can do. Number one, stop comparing. Stop comparing. You know when you're comparing. You know it's just you. It's in your head. Stop comparing. If you are feeling jealous, angry, frustrated towards someone, name that. I'm feeling jealous. You don't have to name it to them, but you can name it to yourself. I'm feeling jealous. And then stop comparing yourself to others. Just stop. Stop. Stop it. (laughs) Right? You have to stop it. You have to stop it. And instead... Once you stop, thank you. You stop, what you can then do is then you can begin to replace that comparing with articulating what does God say about who you are? This is the godliness part. Stop comparing yourself. What does God say about who you are? That you're beloved, that you're precious, you're my child, you're my joy. You are my friend. Heaven rejoices over you. That's the reality of who you are. Now, if you really have a hard time, you really like, like to compare yourself, don't compare yourself to other people. Stop that. Why don't you try to compare yourself to who you used to be? Why don't you try that? And I think what you'll find is that There's been faithfulness in your life and that God has moved you from a place where you used to be to where you are now. Compare yourself to who you used to be if you really need to compare. But number one, stop comparing yourself to other people. That's the first practical exercise. The second thing, desire less, appreciate more. Desire less and appreciate more it will undermine seeking out all of our contentment in our other stuff. Here's the exercise. Don't participate in retail therapy. Don't participate in retail therapy. If you're sad or despairing and you're heading to the mall, maybe you find yourself in the mall. Maybe this message is so depressing that you're going to the mall right after this. (laughs) When you go to the mall, you can look. You can appreciate a lot of things there. You can say, wow, that's really beautiful. Don't buy anything. Don't buy anything. Keep your credit card in your pocket. Keep your cash in your wallet. Don't buy anything. Then go home and appreciate the stuff you've already got. Desire less. Appreciate more. Don't buy that. Go home and appreciate the thing that you've got. Pull this thing off the shelf and go, wow, this is cool. Remember who gave that to you. Remember the relationship that this thing represents. Or maybe you got something when you were on a vacation or a trip or something. Appreciate that rather than looking for contentment in accumulating more and more stuff. Desire less, appreciate more. And this is the third thing, this is the last thing. It says it in 1 Timothy 6. It was right there at the end. Take hold of your eternal life. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Oh, people of God, men and women, Anthropos, the people of God, you are an eternal being with an eternal soul. You are an eternal being with an eternal soul. Take hold of the things that are eternal which is to love God and to love people. Folks that I found that are really discontent are people that have lost the sense that they are an eternal being. And they're looking to fill this void with temporal stuff. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called grounded in God and the reality of what God says about who you are. Because our bodies are temporal. Our life on earth is temporal. We brought nothing into the world and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. So stop trying to invest yourself in the things that will pass away. Invest yourselves in the eternal life by taking hold of the reality that you are an eternal being, which means investing in your love of God, your devotion to God, godliness with contentment, and invest in other people. Invest in God, invest in others. That's eternal. That's what will satisfy your soul. Three exercises. You can do them. I know you guys can do them. Let me pray for us. God, we live in a culture that thrives on creating discontentment. And I confess that I and um, we are a people that swim in this. But God, I pray that you would take us to another place, that you would transform our lives. God, if we struggle with comparing ourselves with others, God, if we struggle with accumulating, God, if we've forgotten who we really are in you, God, I pray that you would help us that you would ground us in you, that you would remind us that we are eternal, that you would help us to stop comparing and remember your love for us, your forgiveness for us, your joy for us, your delight in us. God, thank you that you love us. And that's enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.